Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Richard Warsham, founder of Janus Motorcycles, classic lightweight motorcycles hand-built in Goshen, Indiana. Growing up, Richard always had a fascination with design and architecture. Find out how he took this passion to create Janus Motorcycles as it is today. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Richard Warsham of Janus Motorcycles. Richard, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So I want to start out with your upbringing. So where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? <laughs> that's, a, that's a loaded question. Uh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, um, I grew up in um, outside of Blacksburg, Virginia, which is, uh, if you know, Blacksburg, that's Virginia Tech. Um, mm-hmm. Or as my father went there when he was there, it was Virginia Polytechnic Institute, so VPI. Um, four miles from the drill field, and we lived on a historic uh, uh, spring. Um, Virginia is famous for their um, uh, old resort springs, and so this is this was an old spring that had um, uh, went back to the 17th or 18th century and um, was no longer in use. But it was an old collection of historic buildings. Uh, and we grew up in one of the old cottages of the old, uh, the old resort. Um, and it was kind of a unique, um, unique setting. We had a kind of a community that lived there. It was run by this old lady who, uh, kind of ran everything. We all rented from her. My, my, my parents rented, rented a cottage from her and we just grew up running around, uh, in the outdoors, 56 acres of woods and, wow. uh, just a fun place to be a kid, you know, um, For sure. and, the, and the wonderful community that was there. Um, so that was kind of the setting, um, in, in this beautiful little idyllic spot. My father, um, is, and was at that time a architect. Um, and he, uh, he, uh, worked in another one of the cottages, he had his a little sole, sole proprietorship, um, a little architecture firm. Okay. And, so uh, I kind of grew up with that in the background. My mother is also an architectural historian, um, um, but she really focused on uh, raising us, all uh, four of us. There were four boys, and we all grew up <laughs> uh, running around out there. And so that was kind of, yeah, that's, that's the, uh, the short answer uh, yeah. to growing up. Awesome. So growing up with your father being an architect and you and Janice today, did you ever help him out growing up? And does he have a lot of inspiration towards kind of your career path as well? Very much so. Yes. Um, I can remember when he got, uh, uh, AutoCAD, I think I forget what version he had back in the nineties. And immediately when he got it on first computer he had, I was pretty fascinated with what that was and how it worked. So I started playing around with it when he wasn't using the program <laughs> and, uh, and started, um, I was fascinated with, at that time, uh, I really like drawing art of all kinds. Um, and, but I was specifically very interested in cars. Okay. <laughs> Probably like many kids, boys, um, was really interested in historic cars, classic cars. Um, and so I started designing car parts. Uh, the things that I thought were cool, so frames, um, chassis, and specifically like suspension systems, um, was really what I was. I was trying to figure out how to use 3D back then, and it it was it was possible, but it was really hard. So yeah, 
I didn't quite get to that point animating anything, but I was, I was drawing it um, and a lot of hand drawing. And, and I definitely credit the fact that he, I mentioned that he had CAD, but he was primarily drawing with hand drafting. Like he learned in the seventies wow. hand drafting with a lead pencil and a parallel bar. And, and so that was really something that I was very interested in. I would, I would uh, trace maps. That's um, amazing. And I had, I would trace like, just random maps, everything from real maps of Europe or America to drawing a map of where we lived to fantastic maps, you know, Lord of the Rings kind of yeah. uh, stuff like that. So, yeah. Awesome. So I saw you went on to study at Thomas More College in 2003. What did you study there? Uh, yeah. So I went from um, from being uh, homeschooled okay. at the old Springs, Yellow Sulphur Springs to, uh, then I went to, uh, I kind of figured that I, I kind of wanted to get an experience of normal school. So I went to a boarding school, um, that I, that I kind of fell in love with real kind of a wild jump from being a homeschooler, um, to a living, you know, uh, boarding, uh, program. Mm -hmm. And, uh, from there, uh, they were very geared toward, it was a prep school. So, preparing you to go, you know, obviously the apex would be Dartmouth or yeah. <laughs> some kind of Ivy league school. And I really wasn't interested. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was, I wanted to go to uh, either, I kind of was looking at cool programs with literature because we, one of the things that I was fascinated, that I just grew up with was being read aloud to and reading a lot. So St. John's in um, Annapolis is a great books program that I was very interested in and uh, that was really one of the only places I applied to other than Thomas More mm -hmm. and I ended up um, really falling in love with the program and the setting of Thomas More which was a small well I say small very small school <laughs> uh, to total student body was about 95 depending on the year oh, wow. just under 100 so my class was about 25 when we started and then it kind of whittled down to around 18 or so by the time we graduated and it was a, a liberal arts as I say pr program focusing my study focused I, I chose a, a, a focus in literature okay and um did my junior project on uh, William Wordsworth and then my senior thesis on imitation um in in art and li specifically literature and awesome. it was a really wonderful 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 experience we're just really just reading a lot of primary sources and falling in love with poetry and, and literature awesome so I'm kind of curious I saw you went on to Notre Dame in 2007 this is right after you graduated, actually, from Thomas More. So did you end up using the literature degree in between any time span here? Or were you working while going to school? Or what made you transition to Notre Dame? So during my senior year, uh, I, my father was just kind of, he's always interested in what's going on. And he, was, he realized that um, uh, my, a professor, he, he went to, as I mentioned, Virginia Tech for his undergrad. But then he went, when I, when I was, when I was, probably my 10 or 10 or 12 years old, he was, he went back to grad school for a degree in architectural history uh, at Virginia, uh, sorry, at um, UVA, University of Virginia. Okay. And he had a professor named uh, uh, Bill Westfall um, there who was a theory, really architectural theory professor and really imp uh, made a huge impact on him and his practice professional practice as well as kind of philosophy. Mm -hmm. And he learned that uh, Bill Westfall was the, the teacher, was a teacher at University of Virginia. He had been the dean there, or sorry, at uh, Notre Dame. And he'd been the dean there and um, okay. said, well, you should, you should uh, consider going. And really it was basically just a study with this one guy <laughs> <laughs> who I had just grown up hearing about his 
thinking and his writing and, and, and kind of inculcating that into my thought process. Yeah. And so I was like, I kind of, I mean, I really, I was, uh, you know, maybe being too, too much, exp- too, too much information, but I, I was not a, a fantastic student. You know, I was, I was, you know, I enjoyed what I was doing um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and the undergraduate um, experience, um, <laughs> all of it. Um, and so I, I, I just, I was like, well, this is really interesting, you know, that, that I could get this chance to study artificial theory, which I'd always been interested in. I was very interested in the idea of classical architecture and traditional architecture. Um, one of the luminaries of that, the resurgence in traditional architecture was a fellow named um, Leon Creer. Uh, I think he's from Belgium um, okay. or Luxembourg, um, but he wrote these incredible books and cartoons, uh, kind of cartoon images of representing his uh, ideas. And um, in that, that kind of all the way through undergrad, I was thinking in this terms of architecture when I was thinking about art and literature even. And um, so I kind of, I just jumped on it. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't even know where Notre Dame was, which, which is kind of hilarious. I, I didn't know anything about it. I thought it, I, I actually for a while thought I was in the, in like a different state and when I, I obviously figured out where it was and you know I visited and um yeah and got accepted and it was wonderful and so I showed up in Indiana and um and uh I, I got accepted and, and and went right into the into the architecture program there and we started with a spring or summer program just in drafting and okay uh, I guess I should just say that Notre Dame is really remarkable or unique maybe and, and certainly remarkable in its focus on classical architecture. Mm-hmm. And so with that, by classical, what I mean is um, this, the study of the way that we have built buildings, the, we've built the best buildings over the last, let's say 2,500 years. Um, and, and sort of in opposition somewhat to the way we've been building them for the last hundred years, for example. So, mm-hmm. um, sort of, sort of contra modernism, um, in, in, uh, like the Bauhaus and Le Corbusier and that kind of architecture. Yeah. So I was very interested in that. And, and we, right away we went right into learning how to draft by hand with a parallel mm-hmm. bar. And so I, you know, obviously had some experience with that, but you know, not on that level. And, watercolor rendering and all the bun- all that stuff. So then, um, you know, you, you take, it, this is a graduate program, which is also kind of unique in architecture. Usually architecture is a five-year undergrad, um, but, I, but Notre Dame offers this two-year grad program. So I did that. And so you get, you know, your architectural history, your theory, which most programs don't do um, under Westfall and, uh, and then studio. And so, you know, architectural studio is, is a very intensive um just you, you have a project, you, des, you, you draft it, you, you, you design it, and then you, we presented it, um, watercolor, uh, kind of this very traditional Beaux-Arts uh, program. So the Beaux-Arts is sort of the, the height of neoclassical architecture in Paris, okay. where they would present watercolor plates of their um, projects specifically the what they would call the pre to Rome, which is when you'd win it, you'd get sent to Rome for uh, a year or two to study a specific monument, and they would just present these beautiful watercolor renderings. And so we were always trying to emulate that mm. in our work. And so I I ended up spending 
three years doing that and, and got to go to Rome for two years for two different semesters work in Rome or worked I worked in um uh, I did an internship in Genoa um, doing some ar- more urbanism mm-hmm. and so I ended up uh, doing architect doing, you know doing a number of these projects but really kind of learning the combination of urbanism and architecture together yeah um, so there you go there that, that, that's the the, the, that's the awesome. uh, table table is set for somebody uh, to uh, totally change gears and go do motorcycles love it <laughs> I love it so following college and prior to Janice what kind of jobs were you working then I uh, was okay so yeah uh, I didn't really do probably what you would normally expect I came out to Notre Dame with a vintage Gorelli um, two-stroke moped okay. from the 70s. And that was my only means of transportation. And uh, I, of course, had to find a place where you can get them worked on because they're, they're always breaking. And I met a guy out here called um, named Devin Beek who um, had this wonderful community based around these bikes and working on them. He ran a shop in Elkhart, which is about half an hour from from Notre Dame for those who don't know mm-hmm. and I would ride my bike out there work on it and just made wonderful friends um in the look in the community rather than just sticking to, to Notre Dame which is a very uh, I guess say let's just say uh it's it, at that time at least it was pretty cut off from the local the townies <laughs> for sure yeah um so uh I after my first year I started working in the in, the, in this moped shop doing restorations and custom bikes over the summer completely different from what you'd you know, maybe be doing an internship in new york at an architecture firm <laughs> so yeah. so and, and then to kind of go back to what you said earlier i, I definitely went straight from an art uh, literature degree to architecture so i never um was a never worked in that field okay. the literature uh, other than being an avid reader yeah so yeah Ultimately, from there, what inspired you? So you met your co-founder at this shop in Elkhart. What inspired you both to move towards Janus and those type of bikes in contrast to what he was working on prior? Yeah, so we did a lot of modifying of existing designs. So we would chop up these bikes. We did a lot of, we really respected the original design a lot. But, you know, you do a custom and you'd, um, you'd, you'd completely change the design and, and modify it to be something. And, and a lot of times, if you're familiar with the custom motorcycle world or, or yeah, custom motorcycle world, mm-hmm. there's a lot of like, kind of like concept albums people do, like they'll, they'll do a concept where this is like what it would be like if a um, Grand Prix bike were made now with this thing. Um, that's mm-hmm. really kind of that, that, that maybe I'm using too broad of a stroke to, to describe that, but a lot of custom builds have that as their kind of inspiration and so we were kind of, we were really channeling 1960s grand prix racers especially the 50 the lightweight 50 cc and um small bikes and we just kind of got well we learned a lot more about them by just breaking them down completely to all their you know constituent parts and then rebuilding them and changing them and we kind of like at a certain point we we're like man i wish we could just not have to work with other people's designs and change them, but just do it the way we want it. Yeah. And so that was really the starting point for building um, our own bike. And, and we, we started off with, I'm actually looking at it right now. We're sitting, I'm sitting in the showroom of our shop and it's, hmm. we called it the Paragon. 
and we were kind of, again you know channeling our our understanding of history of the history of motorsport and the name and the logo was just was really fascinating to me as a kid you know kind of going back a little bit i was i had a i would draw cars um <laughs> and i had my own brand and you know the little logo was really important it's just that was the fun part and so that's what we did with this the paragon we had a logo and we it was just kind of a, it was it was just totally fan, fan, you know a fantasy um but we thought maybe we could produce six of them for friends yeah people would kind of buy in and through that process we met a bunch of people and they suggested and i don't know what they were thinking but they thought well what if you started a company doing this <laughs> and we, we, we you know gullible us thought oh sure let's let's try it yeah so in the i guess it would be the summer of 2010 or 2011 2011 we decided to start a, a motorcycle company and we came out with kind of this is on the tail end of that paragon mm-hmm. which was really kind of made made a little splash with our friends and community and we got some initial investment through a um, kind of like an angel investor circle okay. in the South, South Bend area. Mm-hmm. And they kind of, they, I guess they, we humored them and they, they gave us uh, seed money to start it. And it was uh, $25,000 um, okay. to, to do, to start something. And looking back on it, we kind of laugh at how, how we thought that was a lot of money, um, <laughs> but really that would get you, it didn't get us very far. <laughs> so we basically took that and, and we used it and we, and we actually started the company with on that very small amount of money and, and, and really little experience with investment or business at all. We had no business experience other than just the, my business partner, his Devin, his experience was running up moped repair shop. <laughs> yeah. So that's what he, that's what he brought to it. But then, we didn't, we didn't have to know how to pitch to investors or anything like that. Wow. And so we probably, probably made fools of ourselves. I don't know, but they gave us some money. Um, uh, I don't know if it was, uh, yeah, they gave <laughs> us some money <laughs> and Interesting. Uh, we, we did it. And w- basically from there, we, it was our kind of like, par- we were making money obviously elsewhere because we weren't making any money through that, but we, mm-hmm. we rolled that, we just kept rolling that money over and we would just build a bike. And then the money that we got from selling that one, we just put into the next one and um, gra- over the next two or three years, we built about 43 of those first bikes and they were 50 CC two strokes. So okay. really channeling our moped yeah, vintage, vintage moped um, experience. Um, and they were, they were, they were pretty phenomenal little bikes. Um, and we, we kind of started building a, a name with that. And then we met um, through that, uh, someone you re- you know, Jordan Schwarzenegger. Yeah, um, yeah. You, you're a what? Are, what are you in the in the the uh, Bergamot with him? Yeah, yeah. We're I've known him for about three to four years now. Great guy. Yeah. So he uh, has some uh, just incredible uh, skills with uh, video production and filming, and he did some video shoots for us and some photography, and that really updated. I've used all that for our website, and then gradually we through working with, with him and then his friend, Grant Longenbaugh, um, who has a lot of marketing experience, mm-hmm. they started, they kind of like changed the way we fought. And they, they kind of gave us the idea of really making this a company that could be profitable. And it wasn't just a passion project. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they, 
but I think it was 2014 or 2015, we started a Kickstarter campaign okay. um, with really Grant and Jordan like spearheading the whole thing, you know, creating the content, creating the, the everything but the bikes. They, they made, yeah. we, we could make a good bike. They made all the videos and, and the copy and all that stuff. And we um, made about, I think we raised 30,000 that way to launch the, uh, um, the, the, uh, the 250 line, which um, hmm. was, would become what we, we make now. Um, and that 250 line was uh, basically another iteration of the 50. So we, we came out with our Halcyon model and then we added uh, the Phoenix. So maybe I'm not explaining what that means, I guess, enough for like the, the motorcycles that we made starting with that 50cc were a lot of people now call, would call them a retro or a throwback. Um, but yeah. in our eyes, it was just what we wanted a motorcycle to look like. Yeah. Go, going back, going exactly back to that idea of we're tired of chopping up other people's designs. Let's make one the way we want it. Yeah. My experience with the history of motorcycles and classic cars definitely like influenced my choice to go with a, uh, a design, which many people would call a throwback. I call it what a motorcycle should look like. Um, so the 50 came around then when we went to the 250, we basically just updated that design okay. for a larger engine that would, that would be able to meet emission standards because the 50 CC was a two stroke, you know, two strokes probably lost the ability to be mass marketed in the 1990s with yeah. the, the, you know, emission standards and everything like that. So we, we, ch we chose an engine that would be able to be, uh, to meet emission standards. And we, we did that. So uh, over the next couple of years, we, got 50 state, so that means 49 state EPA and California ARB certification, which really is one of the main hurdles to vehicle. Yeah. Um, creating a production vehicle is all the homologation rules you need. So yeah, um, we launched the 250 and, and followed the, the Halcyon model with um, the Phoenix and then the Griffin, which is more of a, a dual sport uh, motorcycle. Awesome, so how long does the average process take to create a bike from start to finish then at Janus? Well, we've gotten faster at it, but yeah. uh, uh, we have, for better or worse, every time we do it, we do it, it takes about a year. Um, and that, if you put that in perspective, I guess if you probably told somebody in Detroit or uh, they would just laugh, that's such a short amount of time. Um, but <laughs> motorcycles are simpler than bigger vehicles. And yeah. We, we, we kind of had, we were very idealistic and we kind of push things. And then it, when the, the deadline comes, deadlines make you work pretty fast. For sure. <laughs> so, uh, and we learned a lot through the process of the 50cc bikes. Um, we, we, we had some recalls. We actually went through the whole recall process and that was really humbling. Um, but it also taught us how to, how to handle, you know, how, and, how, and how to get the right people on your team and the right engineering behind the product you make. Um, so, so uh, I as the engineer who has a literature and architecture degree definitely lean heavily on the community around us that helps us build these bikes. So we have some awesome, uh, incredible skill sets. Certainly um, Elkhart County is, is no small part of the story that is Janus. Um, For sure. The, R, the RV industry, um, the Amish community around us, it's kind of funny to say, but they're, <laughs> they're technological um, 
they're, 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 the fact that they're kind of Luddite doesn't keep them from knowing how to weld really well and yeah. create a really good product. So we, we leaned on a lot of people and, and we had our failures, um, but we learned quickly from them. And uh, so I, I could say around, a, around about a year is what it takes. I, I think if I was going to do, you know, I, I'd want to do it. I'd want to give ourselves a little more time, but it seems to work out. For sure. So I'm not sure 100% if you can answer this, but do you source your materials in the U.S. or international? Where do you source your materials then for the bikes? Yeah, well, it's a combination. Okay. Um, it's, we, we, we certainly, our brand is really built around the idea of being as close to home as you can. Yeah. Um, so, uh, our frame fenders, fuel tank, forks, suspension system, um, handlebars, uh, exhaust system, everything like that. The, basically the, 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 what makes a Janus a Janus we make within about 20 miles of, Jan- of our shop okay. in, in Goshen, Indiana. Uh, but that is, but then in order to get a small displacement engine, you're, you're automatically looking somewhere other than the u.s yeah for sure <laughs> so we started off the 50 was a spanish design made by derby um which is a if you're familiar with small displacement bikes or even motorcycles in general they're a pretty famous name in that world mm-hmm. of 50 cc bikes and then when we went to the 250 we uh were really looking for something reliable um that would fit we don't have any dealers um which is mm-hmm. another really kind of thing that's unique about what we do that we're a manufacturer that doesn't have dealers. So we more fit the Tesla model than we do the Harley Davidson model, shall we say. Um, Got it. And so we, we, we needed a bike that could be either worked on by the owner very easily without any factory tools or a motor that the shops that we could find that would be willing to work on our bikes would be able to work on easily. And so that would be your vintage shops because modern motorcycle shops, they're usually franchises and they, they have a very select few bikes that they work on. Um, yeah. So we chose a 1970s, early 70s, very rudimentary kind of workhorse motor. So this is the called the CG250. It's basically the, the motor that powers the third world. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the one you see in like, you know, 100 ducks on the back and cages in, you know, yeah. Vietnam or something. That's it. <laughs> And it's, it's an amazing engine. I, uh, two years ago now, I guess I rode from San Francisco to New York in six days. Wow. So average, averaging 700 and something miles a day. Um, and kind of on 80 on the interstate and basically kind of through that process proved this bike can handle. And that bike is still one of our demo bikes. I ride it all the time. I've done two thousand miles and 24 hour rides on that same bike since then. Um, and kind of proved that we basically our, our claim with that motor is it's the bulletproof Janus motor. Um, so what we do source that motor to kind of answer your question mm-hmm. from China, it's a mainland China engine, um, developed by Honda, but developed to be made in satellite facilities, uh, around the world. Um, so we, we source our shock absorbers come from Australia. Our engine comes from China. Our lighting comes from Taiwan. Our, Let's see. Leather work comes from Napanee. Nice, nice. <laughs> Napanee being about 20 miles away. Yeah. So it's, a, it's all over the place, but with a real focus on um, local manufacturing. Got it. So looking at Janus today, how many models do you guys currently have? Right now we have, uh, we stopped production of the 50 when we launched the 250. So we uh, started with the, the Halcyon and the Phoenix 250. So the I guess give a little idea through this audio kind of format, the Halcyon is our uh, 
um, cruising, relaxed, really uh, beautiful motorcycle. Really harkens back to a lot of people tell us it looks like an old Indian or a um, <laughs> old Harley Davidson. Um, really a stunning bike that yeah. it'll, it'll, it'll take the, the the show at any anywhere you go. Um, and then the Phoenix is our kind of cafe racer. So for those that don't know, a cafe racer is modeled on uh, 60s production bikes that people would buy in England and they kind of wanted them to make, they wanted to make them look like the, the race bikes that they saw on, on television or at the racetrack. And so they would deck them out and they were, they're real racy looking. And so that's our, that's our Phoenix. And then about a year later, maybe two years later, after we launched the Halcyon, we, we launched the Griffin, which is a dual sport uh, scrambler. And that means that it's as at home on a gravel road or a dirt track as it is on the, on the highway. Um, and so it has knobby tires and a high exhaust pipe and kind of a more aggressive look. And that's really kind of a popular uh, aesthetic right now. And we, we're uh, selling plenty of them, although the, the Halcyon continues to be our flagship. Awesome. So... What would you say is your main demographic then for the bikes? Um, with the 250, our, we, it's kind of uh, it's split to kind of the, the two ends of the spectrum. We have our primary buyers are motorcyclists that want something lighter than their other bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, they they, they kind of want to get back to maybe what they started riding on, which would be like a Honda Trail 70 or Trail 90. Um, and... They, 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 you know, the, you can get a big old bagger Harley Davidson out of the garage. It's just, you know, 900 pounds and it's not as much fun to zip down to the gas station or yeah. whatever. And so definitely I think the, the, a large number of our 250 customers are um, guys that, that uh, wanted something a little lighter that maybe harkens back to their, their childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but since it is a lightweight 250 that looks cool, we're also really, getting a lot of people that are new to riding and maybe younger that don't really, they don't really want, they're not interested in being a biker or any of that kind of baggage. And they just want something that looks like what they think a motorcycle should look like kind of classic and that isn't too powerful, isn't going to hurt them. Um, like these, you know, you get, you get these big bikes and their the horsepower is just, it's like a car and it's, and it weighs, and it weighs half the, you know, a quarter of the weight. Um, yeah. And, and, and you can't pick it up. <laughs> it falls over so um that's the other end of the spectrum are younger riders that want something different um and so yeah it's a, it's a it's an odd mix um we definitely have a, it's so much fun to meet our customers when we when we have our owners rallies we didn't have one this year because of the whole yeah. pandemic but when we get back to it it's just so much fun to meet these guys because and, and and women that have these bikes it's um it's an eclectic bunch <laughs> let's just say that yeah that's awesome so I like to conclude each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, what would that be? Maybe something you've learned or regret? Just anything. Oh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we we wouldn't be here with a uh, a sort of uh, high. Uh, we're definitely high on the risk taking spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, a very, very, um, maybe even naive on that level. But um, if you don't get out and try it, you're not going to know if you're good at it or if if it's worth pursuing. And so that's maybe a maybe a kind of a saccharine um, 
thing to say, but it really is true. Like you, you, mm-hmm. you just need to get out there and you learn it as you go. And the other thing would be um, the kind of counter to that is, you know, being afraid of failure is, is definitely a good way to never do anything. Um, For so sure. maybe I'll, 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 I'll leave it at that. I think, you know, humility uh, goes a long way. <laughs> once you're, once you start realizing where things are going, it definitely uh, teaches you a little bit about that, but yeah, take, take some risks. That's what we did. And uh, whether we knew what we were getting into or not. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining me and to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Janice at JaniceMotorcycles.com. Thanks so much, Cameron. Really enjoyed it. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small Pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.